0: everyone welcome back to the i am not alone podcast where we dive deep into the personal professional cultural and systemic changes that will redefine the way we care for one another So this is the episode I have always wanted to record, but the one I've been most nervous about. Family dynamics are just so complex, uncomfortable, and honestly so scary to talk about, but it's the most common obstacle we hear caregivers coming up against. And when we started this podcast, we promised you that we would be real, we would bring you raw conversations, and that we'd push for change. And so this episode will not disappoint you. Um, Today, we're gonna bring you a conversation with my older sister, Jen. We talk about our experiences with family dynamics while caring for both our mom and now our dad. And so in this first half of our conversation, we dug into the different perspectives we each had and have on the care we provided to my parents. And since we recorded it, my dad has had a pretty severe infection, which landed him in the hospital, that whole thing. He is home and recovering now, but has just reached a whole different level of care that's needed. And I was going through this uh, in the last two weeks, and I actually thought of this conversation. And it really made an impact of how I responded. And I intentionally forced myself to apply all these key takeaways. And I will tell you that it made a huge difference. So I won't jump into all those key learnings just yet. But first, let's listen to this conversation that is totally unfiltered. Um, And I'm not gonna lie, it was hard, it got emotional, sometimes awkward. Uh, And you'll see that even in the situations where families are just so close, like my siblings and I are, we still run into difficult dynamics, as you hear in this talk. Um, and so our intent was to keep it honest and transparent in the hopes that anyone listening could relate to it and see their own family in our story. All right. I have to admit that I'm a little nervous about this episode. Um, We all know that caregiving is intense, it's complex, it's highly emotional, incredibly logistical. Uh, There are countless situations where families either get stronger or they completely break apart after a caregiving situation. And so today I have the privilege and the joy of introducing my big sister, Jen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jess.
1: Hello. <laughs>
0: uh, I love I love you so much, uh, and I am so grateful that you're willing to come on and for us to have these vulnerable conversations. This is not scripted, and I think the goal for this conversation is to really just address the common tensions. That could occur between family members and siblings specifically as they jump into caring for a loved one. Um, It can be complex, and I think it's one of the number one things that come up when people talk about the tough parts about caregiving, and it's not often talked about. First, let's provide everyone some context here so Jen you are my big sister you know growing up you were always the one you know you were taller than me you were smarter than me and you were always more fashionable than me (laughs) and (laughs) I yeah you still are (laughs) and I looked up to you so much and I still do Um, but tell everybody just a little bit about yourself what you do Uh, talk about my awesome beautiful nieces so
1: I am your older sister. I'm two years older than you. So growing up, you know, we were close in age. And so there are sometimes siblings who don't feel very close, but I would say the two of us grew up very, very close to each other. I've always seen you as my little sister. So I'm always here to love you and protect you. And I think that's something that we feel it's a huge blessing to have because I realize that. A lot of siblings don't have that kind of relationship so anyway i am i live in currently in the suburbs of chicago i'm married i am a dermatologist academic Um, i am on faculty at northwestern memorial hospital and i've been um, a practicing academic dermatologist for the past uh 15 years Um, my husband's also a dermatologist and I have, we have three daughters. Um, the oldest just turned 16 and then the middle is 13 and my youngest is nine. Um, and I, I, I work full time and I also am raising my kids and, um,
0: and we just got a puppy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Little (laughs) Jack. Yeah. And you're being a little humble
0: there because you are a brilliant physician you are leading the new skin cancer oncology department or center at Northwestern, right? At the top of your field. Um, and so, I mean, just Google Dr. Jennifer Nam Choi and you will see <laughs> all that she's accomplished. Um, and that's kind of relevant to what we're going to talk about today, too. So I just wanted to make sure that you told everybody just how amazing you are in terms of being the physician that you are. Um Yeah, actually, my um, two
1: specialties are relevant to caregiving because I run the division of oncodermatology. And what that refers to is skin care for cancer patients. And so it's for patients undergoing cancer treatment. So I'm the one who helps them with reactions to chemotherapy and radiation. And if they develop new skin lesions or really bad rashes, basically, I'm the one to help them to diagnose it and treat it, so that they continue their treatment. That is oftentimes life life giving. You know, it's the only thing that's treating their cancer. Um, and my second specialty is melanoma, which is the most serious type of skin cancer. And so I help to um, take care, detect, diagnose, and and treat skin cancer.
0: Amazing, amazing. Um, we also have to say that we have a big brother. So his name is Rich, and he's four years older than you, six years older than me, Um, amazing man, brother. Uh, So we do have three of us. Um, Right now, we'll focus on the two of us, and hopefully we can get my brother on either part of this episode or another one just to get his perspective as well, because it really was a dynamic um, that impacted all three of us in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, just to build off of what you said, it is an important point that even no matter where you start, there's a family dynamic, How whether you're intentional about it or not. There's a certain dynamic that already exists that roots itself in from childhood, right? And then you all get thrust into this caregiving situation. And I say thrust, and we always use that word. Some people hate that word because it's it's an unpleasant word. You're thrust into it, but that really is what it is and so these family dynamics get amplified, they intensify um, and things get really complicated Um, and so even though that we had such a strong and we do have such a strong foundation what we want to do today is dig into some of these tensions that exist so we can talk about them and whoever's listening no matter where you are in that spectrum, right, hopefully it's something that will help everyone reflect on it and uh, ask their siblings about it and just to start that conversation because you'll realize that it's overly um, important to communicate. So let's dive into that. So first, I mean, I, I, I do think, you know, I've talked about my personal story of being, A caregiver for mom and now dad a lot but give us a little bit about your perspective Um, you know especially let's start with mom so mom had pancreatic cancer and so why don't you tell the story in the way that you typically do I would love to hear that
1: so when mom was first diagnosed I was we were living in Connecticut and so um, Connecticut to New Jersey is actually close which um, you know so for the first five years of her cancer journey Um, I was close and I basically am the only medical person in our family. So um, from the very get-go, I took on that role as the medical person to kind of make sure that she was getting the right treatment, make sure the diagnosis was right, kind of always having them text me a copy of the imaging report and the lab results so that I can interpret it with them. And then you know, going to all the doctor's offices and actually calling the doctors and getting on the phone with them. But, you know, essentially, um, you know, mom's story is that she one day called me out of the blue saying that she was really, really itchy and that she was itching all over. And so I said, what? Like, how long has this happened? And she was telling me that it, it had been going on for the past two or three days. And I asked her if she had a rash. And she basically said, no, I'm just itching all over with no rash. And so actually, as a medical dermatologist, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, we have to check her labs, because I knew that itching without a rash could be a sign of internal disease. So I was the one who actually ordered her labs. She went to an outpatient lab center, and then as soon as she got the results, they got texted to my derm office, and I basically saw that her liver function tests were 10 times normal, her bilirubin levels were three times normal, and I knew that something was wrong and so I basically said mom you need to just get to the ER now because something is wrong and you're and and she was so uncomfortable and then um, you know and then from there she got you know a CT scan and they found a mass and then essentially um, then she had a biopsy you know scheduled and this all happened within a matter of days and You know, I remember the day when mom called me saying, like, Jennifer, they they found out it's cancer. Mm -hmm. And then when you hear pancreatic cancer, it's still one of the worst, um, worst diagnoses in, in the sense that there's still not a great treatment for it. And so I essentially automatically thought, wow, like she has probably six to 12 months to live, although I didn't tell them that and I dropped everything that day and I got in the car and it's about a two and a half hour drive to New Jersey. And so, um, but anyway, so, you know, that's kind of um, the story of her diagnosis and then like everything. So, you know, it it truly is a miracle that she survived seven and a half years. Most people really do only survive like a year. Um, And so it was a long journey. And so through that time of, five years of being close, and then two and a half years of being further, um, the entire time I, I took on that role of being the medical liaison. And in a way it helped me cope even with her diagnosis because it gave me, I felt like I had this like distinct purpose of not just being her daughter, but, you know, of course, like that is super important, but being able to provide that, that, um, that help, I think, is invaluable in terms of having a medical person in the family. So I was so happy to provide that. Um, and I think it helped me personally to cope with her illness.
0: Hmm. I mean, I uh, your role in all of that was critical. I mean, it even inspires us now as we think about the solution and say, most families don't have a medical professional in their life everyday life right and you Mm -hmm. really did navigate all of that um it's interesting how you use the word medical liaison and you know so one of the things that we always talk about is that we don't call ourselves caregiver Mm -hmm. so at that time and or now as you reflect would you call yourself a caregiver or would you have called yourself a caregiver? Were you a caregiver for mom? That is, I mean, that is actually
1: an interesting question because I think, um, I think that, I think most people, when they think of the word caregiver, they think, oh, the person you're caring for has to be living with you. I don't know, mm-hmm. that that just seems to be mm-hmm. like the default understanding of when you say, oh, I'm their caregiver. Um, or, or is it, you know, not necessarily that they're living with you, but you're the one who's like essentially going to their house every day or, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So because it wasn't like that, um, I I guess I didn't see myself as a caregiver. I rather saw myself as a daughter who also was, like you said, like a medical, medical liaison, liaison or, you know, her advocate or, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm. Um, and I always just thought dad was her caregiver at the time. And then mm-hmm. later towards the end of your, at her life, that you became her caregiver. So that's interesting. I don't think I ever use that term for myself.
0: It is interesting. And I don't know if we're going to totally resolve that right now in this conversation, but I did look it up and, you know, there is a remote caregiver and it's technically defined as someone who is responsible for the care Of somebody but lives one hour or more away. Hmm. So it does still have the fact that you are the caregiver Hmm. um, but you don't live near or like you know you don't just pop over because it's a Hmm. 10 minute drive or something and so I would say that you were the remote caregiver for mom at that time and what's so interesting and what you remind me of because when I think about all the care with mom I think about the intense last you know, two and a half years where you know, I was her primary caregiver with dad, right? Um but when she the first five years, when you were the remote caregiver, I absolutely was not the caregiver. I wouldn't even call myself a remote mm-hmm. caregiver because I wasn't navigating or directing or feeling the ultimate responsibility of her care. Of course, I loved her, and we're gonna talk about that, right? it doesn't mean that you don't love the person, but I was not navigating, nothing fell on me to monitor or navigate it through. Um you were playing that critical critical role and we all were depending on you in those moments. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I think I think when you say it that way, I think you're totally right that I was. Um because every medical decision was made through me, basically, Mm -hmm. because dad was too close. And he, you know, he's a he's a physician also, but pretty much like, he's almost too close to make those decisions. So I so you're right, I was, you know, and I think about situations in which, you know, a friend of mine is is caring for for her father, who's in a different country, but she is now the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. And it is true that she is the caregiver because the decisions aren't being made. She's helping making all arrangements, all this stuff. And I think you're right. You can totally be a caregiver remotely.
0: So now for the first time embracing that title or that role, how does that make you feel? Um, I mean,
1: I don't think I think when it comes to mom, I don't think it makes me feel any different in that you know I still you know I everything happened the same right (laughs) but I don't know I guess maybe it kind of gives you this realization that um you you played that I played a role yes I mean Mm -hmm. I yes that was critical and that um that was part of the caregiving yeah
0: yeah I mean, that's what we always hope for is that, you know, by giving and embracing that name, it does give mm-hmm. you a deeper sense of recognition and mm-hmm. and purpose. And it just solidifies it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it gives you that energy or that determination to continue to do it or to have valued it. And yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I totally that. know it's to you, but even when I said it to you, and this is the first time we're ever talking about this, mm-hmm. you know, I even the way you kind of like sat up a bit and I could tell you're like, yeah, you're right. I I was the remote caregiver. <laughs> I mean, as,
1: at, when it came to mom being her remote caregiver, um, and look, I'm embracing the term now. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, sister. Um,
1: I think... You know, there weren't times where I like felt alone per se, but I felt pressure. I mean, definitely there were times where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm the one who has the most medical knowledge, and I need to make sure that she gets the right treatment. And so like there were times where I would be, I'd be like looking at the literature, seeing if there are like clinical trials, and like my husband Jay, he'd be also calling his friends at his other medical institutions, finding out if there are clinical trials, and so like. There was definitely this pressure of like, OK, I am playing this role and this is this is what I this is just me like nobody else can provide this. And so that pressure of like, I better do
0: the right thing, you know, mm-hmm. and so there was definitely some of that. Um, now, let's like jump to dad, though. So this is this is interesting. And I think this will go deeper into a that I think does exist for siblings, right? So with dad, it's very different, and I think most people who may be listening may know, but um, dad is 82. He's living with me full-time in Boston, and, uh, you know, he's not disabled. He's, He's functional, but he needs a lot of daily care. Like he cannot cook for himself and drive everywhere, all his medical appointments, essentially everything that he needs to do on a daily basis is what I'm doing to care for him. Um, and he's, you know, he's aging. So he's he's slower, he's weaker. It's it's really sad to see the decline. And so in this dynamic, which is different than moms, because it's not where there's like this rallying case of, we need to do something medically to save him, right? It's, it's a slower decline. Um, so, you know, in this sense, would you con- what do you consider yourself? Like, what role do you see yourself in now with dad? So I think with
1: dad, um, I honestly feel more helpless because there isn't that clear-cut, you know, oh, we just need to get through treatment.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Um, and there isn't this clear-cut, like, what medical decision do we have to make or what, or even non-medical, you know, it's kind of, um, I definitely feel more helpless. Um, and especially, especially being remote and not being there. Um, I think it's so hard because if I were local and even if he were living with you, I could be like, just take the day off. I'm coming over, you know, Mm -hmm. or, have him come over to my house for a week or, you know, whatever. Like if it was, if, if I were local, it, it would feel and be different. And I feel like I, there was more for me to do. And so during the times when it gets really hard on you for, for many different reasons, I feel so helpless. And I think, you know, we went through this recently in which you, you know, texted me and Rich and we talked and stuff. And, and honestly, I felt like, what can I do? Like, I didn't even know what to do
0: yeah it is hard and I I think like you know with mom I'm like oh my gosh you were absolutely the remote caregiver (laughs) and then even in even like I would say it was truly caregiving remotely not living in the same house but even throughout even the two and a half years you know helping navigate and stuff um and then with with dad and I bring this up because there's so many situations out there. We work with thousands and thousands of caregivers, right? There, it, With dad's situation, I'd be like, hell no. Like you cannot call yourself a caregiver because that then discredits all that I feel like I do feel more weight in it. and But I bring this up because um, I think that is why I think siblings do – Get annoyed or pissed off each other where there's bitterness, right? There's like the same sense of ownership, but definitely not the actual practical sense of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and then if 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 everyone shares kind of that name in the same way, like I think there's lack of understanding or recognition, or whoa, I'm not, you are. So how do I help you as you do this? As opposed to like, well, so am I. We're all doing it, right? We all, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, again, I don't know, I don't know like how we resolve that, but I just I think I think there is such an importance in embracing the name. And um I you know, whether and in these two situations they're different. And sometimes it's so empowering and then sometimes it could be so depleting for someone or the person that is doing most of that care. Um, which then goes into how you practically support them, you know? Mm-hmm. And it goes into the second, this whole second tension of confusion and roles. So whether you call them caregiver or not, or whatever the situation is, um, we we tend to think it's kind of this all or nothing concept, right? So if you're a caregiver, it's all. And if you're not, it's nothing. Because what am I going to do? I'm helpless. I'm not going to do anything. It's all on you. How do I support you? But I'm not going to take ownership, right? yeah. I have to just tell you that you sent me an air fryer, which is so random. You know, you sent me an air fryer one day. And I think it was like early on, you know, the pandemic hit. Dad moved in with me. And yeah, I just had a lot of things and a lot more meals to prepare and everything. And you just sent me an air fryer. I'm like, this is so (laughs) random. (laughs) And I was excited about it, but... um, Anyways, I use it almost every day right now. It's like now out on our counter. Um, and, and so I think about you all all the time. And it's just like that one thing just made me feel so like you're helping me every day because you sent me that. And like, <laughs> you know, those little things really matter. And so when I feel like that unfair, I'm, uh, it's like unseen. You have no idea what it's like every day. Like little gestures like that, as silly as they are they're not silly. They actually make a huge difference. And so if you are kind of a sibling that's maybe, you know, in a moment or a phase of being more remote or not daily care for whatever reason, you know, you can't help that. But like, what, what can you do? I don't know what else. Is that what you thought of when you sent me that air fryer? Like what went through your mind? <laughs> well,
1: it was like early in the pandemic and, and we discovered the air fryer. <laughs> so we're like, is this like, really, do I need one of these? And so I got it we're like, this is amazing. And I literally was just like, you know what? Jess needs one of these. And so I sent it to you, <laughs> but because I work full time, it's not like I can just take off two weeks and then come to your place and just relieve your duties. So it, it makes it really hard.
0: Well, that time when you, um, when dad was in the hospital just, you know, a couple months ago, And, um, you know, obviously, it's unexpected. And I remember having, you know, I started playing golf a little bit to get some mental stress out. And I had that Saturday, I had like my first, you know, amateur, you know, tournament or whatever. And I was, you know, typically, I have to cancel those things, right? Um, And you came and you were just like, just go, go, I got it, like, I'll be at the hospital. And I was felt a little guilty, but you're like, go, go, go. And I went and it it was awesome and i was so grateful and it felt like respite it truly felt like wow for once i don't have to like cancel things and move everything around and then be in the hospital all day and so um i think a lot yeah. of times yeah like when you know you go visit sometimes you're visiting and then you want the caregiver to be there because you want to visit the caregiver too but you know when you were just like just go just go it it really did feel so relieving um
1: Yeah. I, you know, when I made that flight to come out, I think I remember texting you saying, Hey, like, should I come out? You were like, no, you don't need to. And then I basically made my flight and then didn't even tell you I got on the plane. And then when I landed, you were like, are you here? I was like, I'm (laughs) in the airport. I'm taking the Uber to the hospital. And you're like, what? (laughs) So then, oh my gosh. but yeah. So I think it's one of those things where like, you know, in the times when I can, I will just drop it and then just come and, and try to help out. And it's true that When I was there, it doesn't make sense for the both of us to like sit in the hospital at his bedside. So it's like absolutely like made me happy that you were off doing whatever you wanted to do, even if it were for just a day or two.
0: No, I mean, that was that was so huge.
1: You know, when you have siblings who are involved in the care of, of a parent or somebody, you know, it's kind of, I think, really keeping in mind that we need to be patient with each other and to have grace towards each other. I think that's also like you towards me and Rich, (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. because I think
1: sometimes you feel like we should do more. And then sometimes it's almost like, I don't know, I don't know what to do or, or how can we do it? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's also this tension of like, I would never want you to become bitter at us. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is one of my big fears is that, you know, and that is something that can happen, is that when there's so much weight on on the primary caregiver, I would never want you to become angry with us. But, you know, I think it's natural that that would happen too. And so, <clears throat> you know, so as somebody who loves you and as, as somebody who loves dad, is is always supporting you and allowing you to vent and allowing, and like whatever I can do to help support you as well, so. You know, it's hard. It's so hard. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It is hard. And I I think like, you know, the greatest piece of advice that I got from, I don't even remember who told me, but I think it was a social worker, uh, you know, during one of the hospital visits. And she was like, give people specific tasks. And um, of course, coming from business, I was like, oh, let's give them titles. right?" And so... Mm -hmm. It's instead of this all or nothing, meaning you have to do all aspects of the care. And we talk about what that entails, like everything from logistics to medical liaison, to advocate, to the physical care, to the mental care, to everything, finances, all of that. We think it's all or nothing, but instead it's break those things apart and literally give people titles. And I remember that lifted so much as... um I was caring for mom and dad if giving you guys titles with I don't know if I've ever told you that but in my mind I gave you guys titles did we ever talk about it so I was like oh you're chief medical officer like anything that comes along with decisions I know I don't have to do it alone or I'll take a picture I'll text you you figure it out or a lot of times even with dad you will make the appointment or say, hey, did you do this? Let me call or something like that, right? So it's almost like anything medically, it was like, I knew that I can hand that off and you would take ownership over it and I would support you in what you're leading. And then with Rich, because he's so great with finances, right? he's in the finance industry, he's just so organized. I remember being like, oh, he's chief finance officer, he's CFO, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know what, Mm -hmm. tax bills are coming in, Rich, you figure it out. Can you call? Because whether you call or I call, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's kind of when it's all mixed, it becomes all or nothing. And then if you split it out and you give each other roles and I don't know. So how does does that resonate with you or, you know, were you confused in your role? Did that make you feel more empowered that you could be the CMO? I definitely know it made Rich feel more like he was contributing, right? And he, Mm -hmm. and it was very important that he did Mm -hmm. and we relied on him. Mm -hmm. And then I got less bitter because I was like, he doesn't have to do everything, but he's doing that. And that's super helpful. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on, on, on all of that? Any of it, all of it. Did you know that you are CMO of our family? (laughs) (laughs) No, I do remember you saying
1: that at at one point and I was like, yeah, of course I am. (laughs) 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 But, um, you know, the, the, always the first thought that comes to my mind is I'm so thankful I'm not an only child because Mm -hmm. I know there are so many only children who then have to do all of that for their, you know, aging parents or sick parents. So number one, I'm so thankful that we have each other. um, Mm -hmm. And that, and I think splitting the roles like that based on our, you know, our strengths or our abilities, I think helped tremendously because exactly like you said, it helped to kind of just relieve kind of feeling like any one of us is carrying everything and that, um, and I think it made it easier for each of us to like know what role we're playing and to make sure that we're fulfilling that and knowing that every single one of those was so critical. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I think it helped a ton. Um, yeah. And so, Yes, 100%. I think that is so tremendously helpful.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it, It. Um, as you say that, I feel guilty in what I said when you're like, I'm like, you're not the caregiver, <laughs> you know? I was just kind of trying to represent the fact of, you know, names matter and it's up to each sibling. And I think it, 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 and the reason why I feel guilty even saying that is because I know that, and dad reminds me of this. I think this is a huge other point. That no matter what role you play, it doesn't mean that your love is greater or lesser than the other. And I think, but that is often what causes the bitterness, mm-hmm. right? Is like, hey, I'm doing all this stuff. And I remember, yeah, there are moments where I feel bitter. And it's not necessarily like directly at you guys. I mean, sometimes it is, to be honest, but it's not really personally. It's because you. it's not like I blame you. You can't help it. But it's just the situation sucks, right? And it's hard and it does fall on me. And so I'm like, and my family, right? Like we have to sacrifice like not going on vacation or, um, you know, just not being as flexible or whatever it is. And so it does suck. And, and, but. And I would complain sometimes. And then dad, being this brilliant psychiatrist and always, you know, high UQ type of person he is, I remember several times he would look at me straight in the eye and say, Jessica, wait a second. I I love you and I'm so appreciative of everything you do. But don't you mistake the fact that just because I'm living with you means that your love is greater than Jen or riches. Like don't for it second think that and i remember my first response being like are you kidding me (laughs) like what it's Mm. clearly different and he and he was like no and i was like you know what that's so right Mm -hmm. like and but i think that is what causes a lot of siblings to break apart because Mm. we equate what we do and the responsibility we feel like and say that is the level of love i have so you love mom or dad or whoever we're taking care of less And I think that is such a dangerous thing to feel um, Mm -hmm. because you will never forget that. And that creates such a hole in your heart, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Did you ever feel like I felt that way, be honest? Or like, when I say that, what do you think? Are you like, hell no. Like, of course your love isn't greater.
1: Um, I, I... (laughs) I totally feel like you feel like because you're taking on most of the burden that you see yourself as you're taking on all the burden and that you guys are doing totally not as much and, (laughs) and that your love is greatest. I I do feel Mm. like you feel that. Mm. And that's why, that's why it makes me emotional because I don't want you to feel that. But I feel like, I know that you feel that Jess. Because the day in and day out is so heavy on you that I can see that naturally you would feel that, and as your sister, it makes me really sad because I know that you feel that. And Jess, you don't—it's it, not something that you have to apologize for because I think that it's natural for you in that position to feel that. But that's that's why I do feel like there's definitely times when you are telling me and Rich, like you you do. You you come to us out in anger and and I can tell you're angry and I can tell you're frustrated and I can tell that you feel like we are not putting in our fair share.
0: That I mean I don't feel that. I don't know what I feel. I definitely know what you like I definitely come off um I don't feel like it's fair sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. But when dad said, like, don't mistake, like, your love is no greater. I totally agree with that. I want you to know that. Like, it's, um, we can't compare our love. (laughs) And I know, I would not doubt that we, you love dad and you love mom, you know, and that we care equally. I do. Like, it was, and that's why it struck me because it was such a reminder, but what you feel and what you're saying there is something I feel I think it's unfairness it feels unfair it feels like an unfair distribution of the burden which that I agree with right but then when you think about it not being unfair it's like what are you gonna do about it so in my head and intellectually I know like you know like often I hear like I was just talking to one of our caregivers The other day and they're so bitter at their siblings because of vacations so something as simple as vacations right Mm -hmm. intellectually you're like well why shouldn't you go on vacation because you don't have this daily care so (laughs) i'm happy that you go on vacation but for some reason i feel that's unfair to me sometimes because our vacation planning looks very different we're very limited or i have to coordinate and pay for care when I go away for even a weekend, right, if that's not mm-hmm. going to come with us or something. So there is an unfairness that I think is true, but mm-hmm. I think that's why I'm bringing it. I think being more specific and talking about it also helps all of us cope with it because I used to think my love was greater, Mm-hmm. But now I realize, hell no, that is not, sorry, sorry, I keep saying hell, but like, it's just like a strong no, that is not true. And we shouldn't think that. But is it unfair? Yes, it can be unfair. So then it brings me to like, going back to like the all or nothing, then where can can we help? Like, I think, you know, the the uh, the other thing that, you know, attention, just to kind of address a lot of these things is, you know, just feeling um, alone. Uh, you know, obviously, IANA CARE stands for I am not alone because I think that has so many meeting meanings in, you know, various places in this whole journey. And for the primary caregiver, you know, that tends to be a little bit more straightforward. Where, you know, there's so many hidden daily little things or mm-hmm. burden or. I know, ups and downs that, uh, you know, I don't even feel like I want to talk about, um, but it's there and it all adds up. So I feel so alone in it. I think the biggest thing sometimes that I realize is um, when you feel alone and then you share things with your siblings, um, people either want to try to solve it or, you know, like, or they feel like, what am I going to do? So I'm either like, I know what to do and I'm going to solve it for you or what can I do? So what do you want me to do? Like, and so I think that's another, you know, outside of us, just like attention that a lot of siblings feel during caregiver situations. It's mm-hmm. like, stop complaining. Like, just, you know, like, what? Do, why do you keep telling me this? If you don't help, let me help you. So either let me help you or just shut up. There really are no clear answers a lot of times, but When you're feeling that you're the only one experiencing, seeing what you're seeing, feeling this sadness, that's what causes deep isolation and depression and just the true feeling of I am not alone. And so, you know, I think the most helpful thing has been, I mean, you talked about it, I think it was just like a week ago or something, where you know, dad was kind of declining in a certain way. And I just texted you and Rich and I vented, you know, I vented It may come off as anger. And then I remember you guys trying to solve it. And what do you want me to do? Oh my gosh, give me this phone number and I'll call. And Rich was like, okay, then I'll come up and this and this and this. And honestly, you know, I appreciate that. But part of me was just like, just stop. No, like, it, it, he is where he is, but I just feel so sad about it, and I just need you guys to listen to it. Like I can't carry the the emotional burden of this alone, and I was just trying to, you know, share that with you guys because it was so much emotionally to handle, and so I feel like you know something that as siblings work out, it's not that um, when we when when caregivers share or when you share with each other, it's either do something or shut up. It's actually a lot of it is just listening absorbing feeling it saying that's so sad you know crying with them sitting with them it's the whole aspect of don't solve my problem just sit with me you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that that jen you do so well so yeah
1: you know i think relationships are always at the core of life like Mm. life is about people and relationships and so you know even when it comes to caregiving and relationships with siblings and relationships with who you're giving care for, like they're always dynamic. And so, you know, a broken relationship can be, can be, you know, repaired and weak relationships can actually become stronger. And at the same time, strong relationships can become weaker. And so I think our actions and our intentions are so important. And I think during really kind of trying times that may crush people i think if we always keep in mind what we want in terms of intentions and relationships and we want them actually to become stronger then we have to we have to act with that in mind right and so i think it, you know even very trying times can be opportunities for relationships to grow stronger mm-hmm. and i think as siblings you know through mom's illness and her passing and through dad's illness now like we can make it our intention for us to become stronger as a family.
0: I love what you just said. I think that's going to like oh gosh there's a whole blog post around this but it's like a it's like going into this with intentions. I love I love that. I think that is so strong. It's like going in saying you know, say you get thrust into it. There's a diagnosis. There's an accident. Coming together as a family in those moments and say, you guys, you know what? We're going to get stronger Mm -hmm. as we do this. And to start with that, I think would be so powerful because it kind of puts everyone's mindset into, yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, Yeah. they're going to be complexities there's going to be ups and downs and crazy decisions that we have to make but our intention here is that we're going to get stronger mm-hmm. i love 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 that i feel like we should embrace that even now right don't mm-hmm. let things just happen mm-hmm. and dynamics happen and see it in these micro moments and micro conversations and micro texts and tensions mm-hmm. but like as a whole we're going to get stronger hmm Gosh, that just, like, I feel so empowered when you said that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, we had some, you know, awesome times, too. <laughs> you know, I think it made us, it did make us stronger, I think. Um, and we're still kind of, we're still going through it. But I'm grateful that you and I are just so close that and open and that we can really hash through these things and be honest with each other. Um, and I think that it is, that's the other thing is we, we think that there are family dynamics that just exist and it is what it is. And like, what are you going to do about it? You know, my brother was always like that. My sister was always like that, you know, and we get stuck in our childhood ways. Um, but we can be thoughtful and strategic. Um, and so I just, I thank you, Jen, for, you know, just always showing up and, you know, being there and here, um, you know, we we were talking about some good times, how we, <laughs> when you come over and we take care of mom and then, I don't know, just we would just hang
1: and watch Netflix movies all the time at
0: night after everyone went to
1: bed. <laughs> Netflix movies. I thought you were going to say
0: <laughs> binge on martinis.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> Lychee martinis. Oh, lychee
0: martinis. So many <laughs> lychee
1: martinis
0: for sure. I think we have some pictures of that. We looked exhausted and our hairs were in buns, but we had our <laughs> lychee martinis. <laughs> Jen, I love you. I respect you. I thank you. This conversation even has given me so much insight into where your heart was and is and wants to be. And... um You know, mom is not here anymore. And the way that you support me and cheer for me and catch me at all moments, you really have filled that gaping hole that I feel like I've been missing in mom. And mom would be so proud of you and so grateful that um, you're caring for me and for all of us in that way. Um, Jess, I want to say... I love you with all my heart, and you know that
1: since day one of your life. And also, I want to just formally, on this public podcast, thank you, Jess, for everything you did for Mom, and everything that you're doing for Dad. Because on behalf of our family, you you are providing what, what we're not. And so, I just want to thank you, Jess, and you have to know that you are being recognized and acknowledged, okay? I love you so much.